Good morning, early birds. Y'all doing okay? So I don't know how many had trouble getting up this morning. Uh, it just, it seems like even if you sleep in a little bit on daylight savings time, it's still hard to get up, isn't it? So, except for this morning for me, I set my alarm clock up early last night, but I used my phone for I have a weird problem. I have to look in the middle of the night and know what time it is. If I can't see what time it is, I have a problem. Set that clock up, but I use my phone, which automatically switches in the middle of the night, right, to daylight savings time. And this morning early, all of a sudden, Heather startles me away. Hey, what? Did you turn the clocks forward? Look at the clock. Yes, I did. Couldn't go back to sleep. So it was a very early morning this morning. But uh, anyway, 1 Corinthians 14 God, through the Holy Spirit, has gifted you in a very specific way to build His church. Now, you may be thinking, Christ said that He would build His church. And you are correct. Christ said that He would build His church. But one of the means that He uses to build His church is through the giftedness of individual Christians given to them by the Holy Spirit. And so the spiritual gifts that we have and the spiritual gifts that the church at Corinth had were to be used to build the church. Unfortunately, uh, the, the church in Corinth was not building one another up in their use of the gifts. Rather, they were prideful and uh, divisive. And Paul wrote to correct that, that attitude that they had. And the center of their problem was their use of the gift of tongues. And so that... W- that brings us to a question, and that question is, what is the gift of tongues? How many know what the gift of tongues is? I'm certainly glad that most of you did not raise your hand, because we really don't know what the gift of tongues is. If we did know, there wouldn't be so much debate about what the gift of tongues was or is, right? And nobody, no no matter how hard somebody argues for their position and how sure of themselves they, th- they seem, they are not exactly sure what the gift of tongues is. But there's three dominant views. I don't know if you know these or not. Uh, the first view is this. It's what I call the traditional view, and it is that uh, the gift of tongues is a known language, but it's unknown to the speaker. In other words, God gifted people to be able to go into some country that they did not know, or they didn't know the language, and start speaking to them in their language, even though the person had no formal training. And uh, that, that the, the people who advocate for that position, uh, advocate for that position, one, from Acts chapter number two, everyone heard in their own language. I'm not going to go into specifics about what that could possibly mean. The second dominant view is what we would call the charismatic view, and that is that's a known language or a heavenly language that the speaker does not know. Either a known or heavenly language that the speaker does not know. For those who are charismatic, that gets them around a problem that everybody has with the gift of tongues, and that is it seems that the gift of tongues is different in Acts chapter 2 than it is in Romans and 1 Corinthians 12. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12. And so how do they account for that? They say that. The, the third view, which is I'm going to call the alternative view, says that tongues 
refers to a known language. In other words, a local dialect that the speaker knows, but the congregation does not know. In other words, they're, they're, they're native language. And so think about the situation in, in, the, in the Roman Empire at that time. The language of the day was Greek. And so if you were in Macedonia, and uh, uh, just pick a region of Macedonia, they had their native tongue, but they also spoke Greek. And we, we understand that because that's what the Soviet Union did, right? The USSR, they had all these different dialects and, and, and um, languages. They combined them, and everybody had to learn Russian. China does the same thing. So we, we understand that, the alternative view. To, to be honest with you, probably of all the three of them, the alternative view makes the most sense to me. I might explain a little bit more of that in just a minute. But that's the gift of tongues. Now, if that helped you, great. If it didn't help you and you're still um, confused, welcome to the family. That's where most people are some way or another. But what I want you to notice, uh, I told you to turn to 1 Corinthians 14, actually go to the end of chapter number 12. At the end of the chapter number 12, Paul talks about the gift of tongues and all the giftings, right? And at the very end of chapter 12, in verse number 31, he says this, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. All right, so we have a question, what are those higher gifts? And then he says this, and I will show you still a more excellent way. Now, what is that more excellent way? He answers that question first. That happens to be chapter number 13. And the more excellent way is the way of love. And love is the operating system in which all the spiritual gifts operate. But what are these higher spiritual gifts? That's the question. What are these higher spiritual gifts? For that, we go to chapter 14 and verse number 1 because now he continues. You'll see the, the, the similarity between 1231 and 14.1. 12.31, he says, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. In chapter 14, verse number 1, what does he say? Pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts. And here we go, ready? Especially that you may what? Prophesy. And there is the higher spiritual gift that Paul mentions. The highest spiritual gift, in his opinion, is the gift of prophecy. At Corinth, the believers thought that the mark of a true spiritual maturity, the really advanced spiritual people, were the people who could speak in tongues. And Paul is arguing here that it is not tongues, but prophecy that is the higher spiritual gift, that's the best and the most useful and helpful for the local church. And the rest of chapter number 14 is, uh, all the way through verse number 25, is the explanation of how prophecy is the higher gift. It's really an extended discussion of why prophecy and not tongues will edify and help the church and be useful for the church. So with that as an introduction, let's stand. We're going to read 25 verses together in 1 Corinthians chapter number 14. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds himself up, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. 
Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Now brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you to some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? Stop right there. That's the first section of his argument. And it sounds complicated, but if you graph it out, it is a super simple argument. And I'm going to try to show it to you as we keep going. Verse number 7, Even if a lifeless use instrument, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for the battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. If I, for if I pray in a tongue, with my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing praise with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you're saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, uh, nevertheless, in the church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than ten thousands in a tongue. Now, stop right there. That's his first argument. That's his first main section, and that is this. Uh, prophecy builds up the church. In worship, we are to build up the church. You'll see that, okay? Now, second section, verse number 20, says, Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants, um, be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law, it is written by people of a strange language. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm getting behind here on my, my um, slides. Uh, let me start over. In, in the law... It is written, by people of strange tongues and by lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus, tongues are a sign not for believers but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? Verse number 24, but if all prophesy and an unbeliever outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he is called into account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. That's his second argument, and his second argument says prophecy is an evangelistic tool, worship is an evangelistic tool, and so therefore prophecy is superior. Does that make sense? It's a very simple two arguments in the passage today. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, for Paul's um, teaching out of 1 Corinthians 14 about tongues and prophecy. 
I ask that we will be edified today, that our minds will have better understanding, and we'll better know how to apply your word, and our hearts will be changed. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you. I wish that I could just um, lay this out in a graphical form, because the arguments are so, they're beautiful arguments, actually. Beautiful the way he lays it out. I I came home Wednesday evening to Heather, and I just said, man, I, I wish I could show how this just lays out so beautifully because it would literally just give you perfect understanding what Paul's trying to say. But it, it's a beautiful passage and a beautiful argument, and it's very, very simple what he does. And so the first thing that Paul does, verses 1 to 20, is he says that public worship is for edification. It's for what is edification? Edification is what? Building up the church. Public worship is designed to build the church. That's what Paul's argument is. As we saw in verse number one, very clearly, Paul tells the Corinthians to honor prophecy over tongue speaking in their assemblies. And in verses two to six, he explains why. Look at verse number two, please. We are to desire gifts, especially that we may prophesy for. Now here's the reason. Here's why we're to desire that we may prophesy. Listen. For one who speaks in tongues, in a tongue, speaks not to men but to God. No one understands him. He utters mysteries in the Spirit. In other words, unless there's someone present with the gift of interpretation of tongues to explain what is being said for everybody's benefit, the only person who knows what in the world is being said is God Himself. Isn't that simple? Very simple argument that Paul's laying out here. On the other hand, verse number three, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in the tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now what Paul is not saying here, he's not saying how things ought to operate for both tongues and prophecy. It's not what he's saying. Rather, he's saying, here are the consequences of the misuse of the gift of tongues at Corinth. If you don't have an interpreter, the person who's speaking in tongues, all they're doing is building who up? Themselves. They're only building themselves up. And he's saying that in all we do, in all the exercise of any gifts that God has given us, We are to look out for the good of others. In other words, we are to build others up. Makes sense, doesn't it? Very simple. Verse number five, he makes a strange statement. Look at this statement. It almost seems contradictory. He says, now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. All right, now what's going on? That just doesn't seem right. If you remember, Paul said in chapter number 12 that tongues was a gift from the Holy Spirit. Didn't he say that? Chapter 12, he says that. Now it seems like Paul's contradicting himself because he says what? He says, I wish that all of you could speak in tongues. And so now you're scratching your head saying, how can you obtain that which is a gift from God. In other words, how can you work to obtain something that God hasn't given you? Seems like a contradiction, doesn't it? Let me see if I can explain it this way. 
I'm going to illustrate what I think Paul's saying. I'm going to say I'm 90% sure this is possibly, probably what Paul's saying, okay? It's basketball season. I know. I'm with you. I grew up in Illinois. Basketball is huge in Illinois. Uh, High school basketball. Matter of fact, my line and I are playing in the Big Ten Championship today. Um, And they're ranked number three in the nation, which makes me happy. What makes me even happier is Duke's not even ranked. So that's a blessing from, well, anyway. But but, um, high school basketball was huge. When, when I grew up in Illinois, and it still is, if you remember, Indiana's right next door in, in the movie Hughes, Hughes, Hughesers. Hoosiers, right? Um, and so basketball is a big thing. Well, just imagine that there's a high school basketball, or there's a high school where basketball becomes more and more important to the life of the school. The school has a championship team, and halfway through the season, they have not lost a game. And everyone at school is thinking and talking and dreaming about basketball. As a matter of fact, uh, with its undefeated team, this particular sport becomes all-consuming for the school. Every other activity, including the academic program of the school, is being pushed aside by a passion for basketball. Something has to be done. Finally, the principal of the school calls an assembly together with all the students. And he says, I'm glad that we have a good team. And it's wonderful that we, we are undefeated. And you support our team. That you support our team is commendable. Please do not misunderstand me. I am not against basketball. In fact, and here it is, I hope you all learn to play basketball. But right now, we must remember the importance of our academic program and back to studying. Make sense? I think that's kind of what Paul's saying here. He's he's not saying, I I know that you all can work towards it. He's saying, look, I know this is commendable, and I, I wish all of you had the gift. But you don't, and our job is to build the church, and so therefore, let's get back to the job of building the church instead of building ourselves up. I think that's what Paul is saying here. Look at Paul, what, look, look at what he says in verses 5 and 6. I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. Now brothers, if I come to you, he says, speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? So are you following our argument so far? Tongues are unintelligible and help no one unless they are interpreted. That's the argument. They bring bring some new revelation from, from God for the good of the whole church, and everyone is built up. And what they really need, Paul is saying, if they're going to benefit and grow and be built up, is not the spectacular or the esoteric or the eerie or any of that sort of thing. What they really need is a word of revelation from the Lord or knowledge or prophecy or teaching. Let me summarize it for you. What they really need is clear biblical teaching. Clear biblical truth explained 
and applied with clarity and understanding in the power of the Holy Spirit to the hearts of those who hear, that is the only way, the only way to build the church. And not through some ecstatic utterance or anything else, emotional outburst. Now, he begins to talk about prophecy in verse number 7. Now, he's moving to a different argument. And he gives two illustrations. And, and again, this is a, this is a form of, of the, the uh, ancient language structure that he's going to wrap his main point between two illustrations that basically say the same thing. So you have verses 7 and 8 that talk about instruments. And then you have verse number 10 that talks about languages. And verse number 9 is his main point. But let's look at 7 and 8. Because what he does, he explains with these two illustrations, uh, the first illustration about musical instruments, two ways that prophecy builds the church. You ready? First of all, he says in verse number 7, even a lifeless instrument such as a flute or the harp do not give distinct notes. How will anyone know what is played? Now, um, think about the flute and the harp for just a minute. These were the type of instruments that, that were soothing. Uh, they were, they were, they brought, they invoked tranquility and calm and soothed the troubled soul. And the harp in particular needs distinct notes if the listener is to be moved by the performance. Think back to the Old Testament. Remember David? He played for King Saul. And what did it do to his troubled spirit? It calmed it. And so the harp and, and the flute, they're calming. And they calm a person down. But then verse number 8, he gives another instrument here. And he says, if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? The bugle is used in battle. It's used to call people to move forward, to move backwards. They use the bugles in certain tones and, and certain um, rhythms to tell people to move backwards, retreat, move left, move right, so everybody could hear what's going on. They did it with bugles or trumpets. And so the second thing that prophecy does is it prepares people for spiritual battle. And if you think about it, uh, the preaching of the Word of God prepares you for spiritual battle, does it not? It warns you, it informs your conscience. And it strengthens you and encourages you for what lies ahead. Because we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against what? Principalities and powers. That, that's spiritual beings. That's, that's the battle that we're fighting. Now he gives a second illustration, verse number 10. Verse number 10, he talks about foreign languages. Look at what he says. He compares tongues to foreign languages and he says, there are doubtless many different languages in the world, but none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So here the gift of tongues is compared with a stranger talking in a foreign language. And Corinth was an international city. And so you, were, you could walk down the street and you could hear many different languages being spoken. You've ever traveled overseas or, well, you can even do it here in the United States. 
There's, there's opportunities for you to hear many different languages. Uh, places like uh, Krakow, Poland, and, and even uh, when you're traveling in Jerusalem, Israel, you hear many different languages while you're traveling. And it's, it's, it's a cosmopolitan area. And Corinth, no doubt, had a cacophony of languages spoken there. There, there were doubtless many different languages in the world. Just a reminder, that's all he's doing is reminding us there's many different languages. And that's what the gift of tongues was in the New Testament. I believe it was earthly, New Testament, human languages. The speaker, I'm going to throw this in, either did or did not learn, okay? But enabled by the Spirit to speak. Right? There are doubtless many different languages in the world, but none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, then I will be a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker a foreigner to me. The word there is actually, for foreigner, is the word barbarian. Some of your translations might say barbarian. And so what he's saying this is this. If we continue this practice in the church, the church is going to disintegrate because there's no brotherly bond being built. That's the second illustration, the illustration of language. So the music illustration, language illustration, and sandwiched in between them on either, on either side of his main point. And here's his main point, verse number nine. What is his main point? So with yourselves, if you with your tongues utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. Now this isn't complicated, is it? You're speaking into the air. You're wasting your breath. People will be alienated for, from one another. It will create barriers, not bring about unity of which I've been speaking now for three chapters, he says. We will become like foreigners. And so he says, with yourselves, since you're eager for a manifestation of the Spirit, excel in building up the church. There's the main point. If you're going to do something, build up the church. Everything that we do in public worship, and today is public worship, isn't it? Everything we do in public worship must tend towards building up the church. I want to clear something up, though, that we may be a little bit confused about. Building up the church or edification is not the same thing as having your tastes and your preferences met. We must not hold the church hostage to our personal preferences and legitimize them by saying something like this. I'm not being edified unless you change this or you do it that way. Unless you do it my way, I'm not being edified. And that's what a lot of people do, don't they? It's just a play on I want my, my preferences met. That's not what edification is at all. The key, Paul says, to being built up and to being edified is understanding the truth. How do we build one another up in our use of our gifts? We are to speak the truth and love to one another. 
We are to be transformed by the renewal of our minds as the truth penetrates and renovates how we think and how we behave, right? That's building up the church. Tongues doesn't build up the church. Prophecy does. And remember, prophecy is basically the preaching of the Word of God. And this is exactly the point in the next few verses, verses 13 to 19. Change comes as we engage our brains. Look at verses 13 to 19. For the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful, what am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. We need to pause here. And I want to clear something up because our, um, this is an important issue. Our charismatic brothers and sisters use these verses along with verse number 28 to warrant the use of the gift of tongues in a worship service. And what they, what they allege is that the alleged gift of tongues is a private, personal devotional language and so they look at these verses and they say what paul is teaching here in the verses we just read verse 13 and following is this that if we are to pray we may pray privately in tongues but but let's look at what he's actually saying look at it he says if i pray in tongues and i don't even know what i'm saying my mind is unfruitful that's not a good thing and then what he's saying That's what he's been saying all along. That's not good. Don't do it. He's not commending tongues. He's warning against it. What will I do, he says, if there's no one to interpret my tongue speaking? Well, I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my mind. I will pray intelligibly. I will pray with understanding. I will sing praises with my spirit, but I will sing praises with my mind. Similarly, look down in verse number 28 for a moment. Another verse that charismatic people appeal to is a proof text that tongues are private prayer language. The context here, and remember, especially verse number 28, when we get to 28, you're going to see this is public worship he's talking about here. This is not private prayer. And the context here, public worship, the church is gathered, but there's no one who can interpret the gift of tongues. So what should the tongue speaker do if there's no one to interpret? Verse 28, Paul says, let each of them keep silent in the church and speak to no one. Let each of them keep silent in the church and speak to himself and God. Well, see, right here, this tongue speaker says um, that we should pray quietly in tongues ourselves unless there's no, no one, someone available to interpret. Now, that's not what he's saying at all. Can I paraphrase what he's saying? I'm going to do it in a little bit of a crass way. If you have the gift of tongues and there's no one there to interpret, shut up and pray. That's what he's saying. It's in the Greek. (laughs) Don't use the gift of tongues unless there's an interpreter. So that everyone may be edified, period. Other people, he says, have, are, have to be able to say amen to whatever is done in public worship. 
And they can't, verse number 16, if all they hear is meaningless noise. Now let's go to verse number 17. The value of biblical instruction. And it's basically invaluable. Verse number 17, Paul thanks the Lord that he speaks in tongues. And yet listen to this. Is this clear enough? In the church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Five intelligible words of biblical instruction are more valuable than 10,000 words of a mysterious or esoteric um, utterance. Now, we live in a day when the va- that values the mysterious and the dramatic and the emotionally charged, don't we? We do. We live in a day that teaches us to long for the shortcuts. We're suckers for shortcuts to spiritual power and intimacy with God. We love shortcuts anyway. I mean, the microwave oven. Who wants to heat something on the stovetop when you can pop it in the microwave and change its consistency altogether, right? I mean, every January, these magic diet pills. No work involved whatsoever. You can continue eating Cheetos and sitting at your desk, and you're going to lose weight. The fat is just going to, what do they say, melt away. Yeah, you guys guys have eaten those pills, haven't you? (laughs) We love shortcuts. And frankly, we love shortcuts when it comes to our relationship with God as well. We want the easy button. And many in the charismatic movement are taught, listen, that tongues is a way to bypass the intellect, circumvent the mind, so as to allow a more immediate and direct communion with God. It's what they're taught. Your mind is the problem. And the, that, your mind has to be gotten out of the way so that you can have a real experiential fellowship with the Lord. And tongues was a way of, to get your mind out of the way. Now, to tell you the truth, th- there's an appeal to such immediate and direct experience that can lead very many of us, right, that way. There's an appeal there. And it can uh, lead us to, I don't know, to use a term from a book, Bypath Meadow, or something like that. We, uh, very easily, we can be led astray by the promise of that kind of, of teaching. But brothers and sisters, this is a promise that Scripture never makes. It never makes that promise. They, Scripture never makes a promise of intimacy with God, of the experience of His power, of His grace, and His presence, that calls for you to put your brain in a box and to shut your intellect away. Never, never, never does it do that. If you really want to worship, if you really want to know God, meet God, the only way that's ever going to happen is through your learning the Word of God. Do you remember Paul in Ephesians, particularly like Ephesians 1, 15 and following in that prayer? Paul says this, We will know God when the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God enlightens the eyes of our hearts that we may know what is the hope to which we are called. Did you catch the vocabulary? Knowing. 
knowing vocabulary and prayer. I, I, I don't know how you are, but as I read God's Word, and I know God, and things are, come together, I find that I, I, there's a spirit of worship that comes over me. When I read books and authors teach me something I had not known before, or, or remind me of things I had known but were at the back of my mind, my heart is warmed and there's a spirit of worship that overcomes me. How will the Ephesians have real communion with God? How will you or how will I? How is it? When the spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge enlightens our eyes, in other words, gives us understanding, how will you be transformed? How will you have communion with God? It is through the word of God enlightening your mind, informing your understanding. It's word-centeredness. Word-centeredness is the key to knowing God. He is the Word. Isn't that what John says? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Edification, building one another up by means of the intelligible communication of biblical truth. That's what we need today more than ever. Public worship, God says, or Paul says, is all about edification. And so the profound speakers that stand in the pulpit are not the ones that when they're done, you have no idea what they said. You just know it had to be good. They're the ones who communicate even difficult truths in a simple way so as to give you understanding. May, and this is my prayer, it's been this week, it was this morning, earlier. (laughs) My prayer is, that God will drive you to His Word so that you may have your eyes of your mind enlightened to understand, to know Him, and to fall on your knees and worship Him. Amen? May we be those kind of people. Lord, I thank You for the Word of God, how it edifies, it builds the church. I thank You for the simple, very simple explanation of the difference between tongues and prophecy, Lord. And I pray that we will be students of God's Word, that we will minister grace to one another, and that uh, we will become more like Christ. In His name we pray. Amen.